Uh, turn with me, please, to Exodus chapter 27. Exodus 27, repairing the altar of the four square gospel. Repairing the altar of the four square gospel. Exodus chapter 27. And you know, we have a few, we have three different readings, but they're short tonight. And this is our first one. Just one verse, and please mark this or else memorize it or put a little mark in your Bible. Verse 1. And thou shalt make an altar of settle wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. And the altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. Go to chapter 28, please, and verse 15. We have two verses here, verse 15 and 16. And thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work after the work of the ephod. Thou shalt make it of gold, of blue, and of purple, and of scarlet, and of fine twined linen. Shalt thou make it four square. It shall be being doubled. A span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof. And then the last reading is in First Book of Kings, please. First Kings and chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18. And let your eye run down just for one verse. And keep your Bible open here. Verse 30. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken. Let us pray. Father, will you shut us all in with yourself now and speak to every heart? And Lord, birth something new in us. Lord, even this morning as... The word went forth and the Spirit spoke and says that you would build a new generation for a generation has been missed. And we ask you now, Lord, to start building your people. And we ask you, Lord, that you would touch our hearts and our lives and build that generation who will repair the altar of your four-square gospel in our nation and in this land, we pray. We ask it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Repairing the altar of the four-square gospel, um, it would surprise you, even up till recently, how many people have asked me, what do I mean by the four-square gospel? They're not very um, well savvy to knowing what the four-square gospel is or what it means. So you may well be in the group of people that some have said, what do we mean by the term the four-square gospel, or what is the four-square gospel? Well, I want to let you know that sometimes you're singing it. You're either singing one part of it, or maybe two parts of it, or maybe you're singing all of it in certain hymns and courses, and you read about it in the Word of God when you're reading especially the old into the New Testament and the building of God's people up in spiritual power. And you'll read about the four square gospel. 
I think of how the four-square gospel came into prominence and being at the turn of the last century, especially in the first of the first of one uh, under Charles Parnham in Topeka, Kansas. And then, of course, it went, I think, about five or six years later to Azusa Street. And then, of course, we had it over in Great Britain. And the Pentecostal movement was birthed and born out of that. And these men like George Jeffries and Stephen Jeffries and others like them, the Hutchison brothers who went on to form the apostolic movement, they believed in what is the four-square gospel. And if you note the time in our nation and what our nation was going through and what it was about to go into at the time of the latter-day outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it was a time whenever our nation was being prepared for the world wars. Now, you know me by now. I'm a Reformed theology. And you know me by now. I believe that the Battle of Armageddon began in 1914. And we're already in it. It's the battle of that great day of God Almighty is the climax of it when all the nations will be gathered together against Jerusalem and then against uh, God's people, Israel, around the world here. And you and I will all be involved in it. So here we have the Lord knowing the time in which we're living in our nation. And he pours out his spirit and he does great wonders and a miracle in our nations. So what is the four-square gospel? Let me tell you, there's a man called uh, H.T., and he wrote a hymn, and we've sang it here many times. We'll maybe close with it even tonight. We'll see how we get on. And he wrote that that song, um, They were gathered in an upper chamber as commanded by the risen Lord, and the promise of the Father there they sought with one accord. You know the chorus goes, Let the fire fall, let the fire fall, let the fire from heaven fall. Well, the second verse of that chorus gives you the completeness of the four-square gospel. As Elijah, we would raise the altar of our testimony clear and true. Christ the Savior, loving healer, coming Lord, baptizer too. The four-square gospel is this in a nutshell, that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is the soon-coming King. Now, in a land like we are in, even Pentecostalism has apostatized and has joined itself together with an ecumenical movement and Catholic charismatic movement and so on. And it's not Pentecostal. Let me say that. It is not Pentecostal. It is another spirit, and it's another movement. And the men who were birthed out of the early Pentecostal movement were birthed because they were in a nation who would really need divine healing, would really need divine moving of God. They would really need to hear the salvation message with the unction and the power of the Holy Ghost that was fading from the days of Spurgeon uh, and Whitfield uh, and, and Joseph Parker and the Wesleys and all of those type. They were coming up in a mighty anointing of God to preach sanctification and to preach uh, election. And all of those things were preached in different areas. But now in a waning time, there's going to be needed a real move of God in our nations. And even right across Europe, this Pentecostal flame began to burn began to spread and began to burn brightly. And I want to speak tonight on repairing the altar 
of the four-square gospel, because it would surprise you how many Pentecostals are afraid to say they're Pentecostal now, or they're ashamed to say they're Pentecostal now. And I'll tell you, you'll be standing somewhere, and people will be talking in evangelical terms, and I want to tell you, a real converted true Pentecostal is an evangelical. A real, true, converted Pentecostal is a man or a woman who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and a man or a woman who are in touch with the Spirit of God from our Lord Jesus Christ, who have been filled with the Holy Ghost. Pentecost is not in clapping hands. That doesn't make you a Pentecostal or raising hands or playing music. That doesn't make you a Pentecostal. It is having and it is knowing through salvation of the soul and a divine outpouring and the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and gifts, signs, wonder, miracles and the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit in their life. That is a Pentecostal. And they're unashamed and they're unafraid. Now, there's older people in here and you'll remember even when you were children and I've spoken to some of you and I've spoken to some who are now away on to the wrestling of Margaret's father when he was a wee boy, Joe. And I remember him telling me stories and about the, they're ostracized because we're Pentecostal, but men and women could not deny that which God had birthed in them. And men and women were unashamed of the power of the Holy Ghost in their life and the things that God was putting into the church. And it was a movement that was changing our nation. It was a movement that was seeing people healed when medicine couldn't heal. We just sang that song there as we opened up. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. And that's what the Pentecostal shout is, that this, this same Jesus who healed the sick, who raised the dead, who cleansed the leper, who cast out the devil, who still saves sinners. This same Jesus is the same tonight in this meeting, in this house, and in your life if you want him. He is the same. Elijah, what has he got to do with this four-square gospel? I want to show you how we need to repair this altar, for even in many Pentecostal churches, they're ashamed to hear the gifts of the Spirit in case it's not fitting with society. I'd rather be fitting in the plan and purpose of God than in society, to be honest. And that's just telling you the truth. Now, I notice this. It says here in, in 1 Kings chapter 18 that Elijah builds an altar. And it says in verse 30, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. The word here for broken down is a word haras, haras. And haras simply means broken down. It means destroyed or utterly overthrown. In other words, in the northern kingdom of the ten tribes in Israel, this was, they had went into apostasy. And the heathen had come in, and if you want, ancient political correctness had come, and they brought uh, heathenistic worship and, uh, and laws into the government, and the king, who was Jeroboam, and then all the kings after him became, almost every single one of them were evil, and dead evil, which was in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord sent this prophet Elijah to them. And Elijah finds that this altar was in need of repair. 
Now, the word haras doesn't mean that it was worn down. The word haras doesn't mean here that it was just maybe in a bit of disrepair, that no one had touched it for a while. There was no upkeep on it. The idea was that somebody or some people had come and literally, physically attacked the altar of God and tore it to pieces. And Elijah says, we can't have this. It's time we take a stand. It's time we do something about it. It's time we rebuild the altar. And Elijah started to rebuild that which men had torn down, which was precious in the sight of God. And I think it's time that you and I start to rebuild that which God has, to- God has, has deemed as precious and even man, man's ideology, philosophy, or whatever, sociology, or maybe his own theology has come into your life and torn down the altar of the four-square gospel. This nation of Israel was in a deep, dark straits. It was in a terrible condition. And Elijah came and says, the only thing that's going to help this land, the only thing that will bring healing to a people like this, is to have God back in the midst, to have the Spirit of God in our lives and to rebuild this altar. And he started, it takes one man and the Spirit of God. One woman and the Spirit of God. You know what I want for our assembly? And we see it happening in here. And I'm giving God the glory for it and I thank God for it. We're seeing the altar of the four-square gospel starting to be built up again in this assembly. And we say, Lord, you are welcome in this place. And we say, Lord, we will bring a sacrifice of praise unto you, that, Lord, it will be a sweet-smelling savor in thy nostrils, and that the Lord will be pleased. For it's in the building of this altar that we'll find that God will bring healing and salvation, and his Spirit will baptize for he is still the soon-coming king. Here we have Elijah. Is that my chin rubbing that? Hold on a second. Here we have, my chin must go, that's 40 chins maybe, is that what it is? Bless the Lord. Hope I can get out of it out of this. This goes all around the world, you know. For those who are listening online, I don't have 40 chins. That's not me, you see, Kyle. I'll try it here on the lapel. What about that? Is that better? We'll try it there. Here we have Elijah repairs the broken altar, that which was cast down. Let me give you a couple of examples quickly to show you just the strength of what happened to this altar. In Exodus 23 and verse 24, listen to a command that the Lord gave Israel, going in to take over the enemy's territory. Notice it wasn't the enemy to take over Israel's territory. It was Israel to take over the enemy territory. And he says, I shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly throw, utterly overthrow them and break down their images. God says, now see when you go in, you're the victor. I'm on your side. You're my children. You're my people. Go and have dominion. And Israel went in. And for a while, 
they had their altars correct. And for a while, they had their worship right. And for a while, they went before God humbly. And for a while, until the enemy slipped in by the back door, and they started to worship in high groves, and they set up a calf, a bull calf of made of molten metal, in uh, uh, Dan and one in Bethel, and cried, These be thy gods, O Israel, who brought thee forth out of Egypt. And they flocked to there instead of coming to the altar of God, which was in Jerusalem. And that's how it happens. It comes in gradually to our lives. It comes in gradually to your homes. And sin sneaks its way in until you find your altar before God, your prayer altar, your worship altar, your reading altar, your family altar, until your church-going altar starts to be torn down and comes into disrepair. The Lord says, you're to take dominion. Christian, listen. You're to take control of these things. Yet Christians live in defeat instead of living in the victory that God has already given them. It's time we were to repair the altar of the four-square gospel. Here's one for you. Psalm 11 and 3 says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Or if foundations are pulled down, if the foundations of this gospel message are pulled down, what can you and I do? You and I who are righteous in Christ, what can you and I do to change a life? What can you and I do to bring a gospel? What can you and I do to help the sick? If the foundations of our belief are stripped away from us and the altar of the four-square gospel is taken away that Jesus still saves, Jesus still heals, Jesus still baptizes with the Spirit, and Jesus is the coming King. If those foundations are taken away, what hope do you and I have, and what hope does our very neighborhood have, our community have, and our very nation have? I want to tell you, Jesus is the hope of the nations, and Jesus is the hope of our families, but Jesus puts the hope in you and I that we will go out and take control and dominion and pray for the sick and preach the gospel and see people one for Christ. It's all in you, brethren, and it's all in you, sisters. God has given us a great commission, and you and I are to carry that commission out. Here we have this four-square gospel. It's torn out of our nation, and it's torn out of our families. This foundations, it means destroyed. It's the word haras. It means destroyed, utterly overthrown, and broken down. And hasn't our nation completely done this with the Bible, God's Word, with the name of Jesus, and with the church of God itself. It's time that you and I started to rebuild and get back to what worked. Get back to what worked because only thing that works is taking God at His Word, believing God for whatever He says He does, whatever He means He says, and He says what He means, and saying, Lord, you said it, That settles it, so we'll believe it, and we will carry it out in our land and in our nation. Israel were in such a state and in a condition. There was sickness everywhere. Sexual immorality was everywhere, and all the diseases that come with it. Homosexuality started to come in. All sorts of stuff was happening in the land, and God raised up a man to raise up an altar. 
The altar was the place of worship, the place of sacrifice. It was a place of uh, a centerpiece in Israel. It was a, a center place for the people to come to. Do you want to put that mic on there for me and record from this one? Thanks. See, the devil doesn't want us to rebuild the altar. Sure he doesn't. But we're going to do it anyway. Don't worry. We're going to be preaching anyway, even if I haven't to preach without. I don't need a mic. I'm loud enough. It's just recording purposes, that's all. Praise the Lord. Put it out like that so I'm not burning on this too much. It was a centerpiece and a center place. The altar was foundational and it was broken down and it was utterly destroyed. God becomes a mere myth when this happens. Now you think of our land tonight. God becomes a mere myth when this happens. The sheep become scattered. They don't know what the truth is anymore. They become powerless and hopeless. They feel useless and rendered in such a state that they backslide and fall away from God. And that's what's happening in the churches. And that's what's happening in our land tonight. You know, I went to bed on Thursday evening with this message in my head. Not the message, this title. And I wondered what God was trying to tell me. Four square gospel. I woke up on Friday morning. As soon as I opened my eyes, I told you the four square gospel. Lord, what am I going to preach on on Sunday night? The four square gospel. About lunchtime on Friday, I was trying to write something, and it was the four square gospel, son. Hello. Tell them to rebuild the four square gospel, and God will move in their lives, and God will move in our nation. It is this message that Christ is all and all, the whole gospel for the whole man, for all of your needs, and you will see the difference. We need this message again in our land. Look, instead of Israel breaking down, utterly destroying and overthrowing the ungodly heathen practice in the land, and instead of them staying consecrated, separated, holy, set apart and sanctified for God, to God and before God, and instead of them acting as God's called, God's sons, God's chosen and God's elect vessels, Instead of them being victorious overcomers, showing God's glory in them and through them, and instead of them defeating the enemy and destroying the works of the devil, and instead of them utterly overthrowing all the principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, and breaking down all altars and idols and enemy strongholds, they allowed the enemy to break them down. They allowed the enemy to overcome them. And believer, it's time that you and I, we said enough is enough. Lord, you are the same yesterday and today and forever. And all the works of the devil were defeated and were destroyed when Christ died on the cross of Calvary and shed his precious blood. You and I need to stand up and believe God for what he says. This is a glorious gospel This is not a defeatist word. This is a glorious gospel. In fact, it's not just the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's called in the scriptures the gospel of God. The good news, the God spiel in Anglo-Saxon terms. The spiel, the talk 
all the glories of God. And this is it all wrapped up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless his holy name. Bless his holy name. In 1 Kings 18 and 30, Elijah says he repaired the altar of the Lord and was, that was broken down. Now, the word repaired, it's a word, rafa. This is important now. And I tell you these words for a reason. Because these Hebrew words, and later if it's Greek, but these Hebrew words, they really do mean something. For our English words will tell you something that we can't take into ourselves in full English. And the word rafa means to heal. It means to make healthy. Or to be healthful is one of the words. Or full of health. It gives the idea of healing is restored. Or healing is the restored favor of God upon his people. And the restored favor upon our nation. It gives the idea that this healing, uh, this word rafa means healing to individual distresses and sins. It gives the idea rafa means in brings in order to get healing and to be healed. God came on this altar and he answered by fire. The word here, Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord. Do you know what it really gives the idea of? Elijah, in order to bring God's healing from sin and sickness and all that has happened in the land, he had to first of all heal the altar of the Lord. It was torn down. It was attacked. It was destroyed. It was utterly overthrown. It was in disrepair. Someone had came and tore it down stone by stone. Tore it to pieces and had it scattered. And Elijah says, I will repair. I will rebuild this altar of the Lord. And because I will do that, in other words, God Because we rebuild the altar, you will send your fire. And the Lord answered by fire. The Lord answered by fire. The Holy Ghost came. The Holy Spirit of God in the Old Testament is the one and the exact same Lord Jesus, Holy Ghost, in the New. There is no difference. He is the one and the exact same God. Notice this. The altar... That you and I have in our, if you want, post-cross and resurrection and ascension. The altar that we need repaired is the altar of our hearts and how we believe. And what we believe. And what we think. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies. Notice. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Paul says, rebuild the altar and throw yourself upon it and be a living sacrifice for Christ. Throw yourself on the altar. For if there's no sacrifice, brother, and if there's no sacrifice, sister, the fire won't come. And if the altar is utterly overthrown in your life, and if the altar is utterly destroyed, and if the altar has been pulled down, whether it's by hurts or harms 
or whether it's been by laziness or laxity or waywardness and you've let the altar of God go cold and into disrepair in your life, tonight God calls you back and he says, come back unto me and repair the altar and see the fire of God come when you put yourself upon it as a living sacrifice. That's what will bring healing to our families and to our nation and to the peoples of our lands. God answered by fire. And listen to what the Lord, or Paul says, uh, the Lord says, I should say, even through Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world. That's how your altar becomes in the disrepair. Listen, do you see whenever we have it in our schools, Thank the Lord for Donna Cloney School here that teaches the word to all our children and brings in teachers of the word to the children. Thank God for them. But do you see whenever you have children sitting day after day after day and their little altars that we are trying to build up for the glory of God are being pulled down by teachers who tell them week in, week out, day in, day out about this big bang theory and evolution. It's pulling down the altar of God in our little ones. And you see when they're sitting day after day after day reading their books that they bring home or they're sitting day after day after day sitting in front of that television and I'm not saying about children watching those things. I'm not being someone from the, from the dark ages. But what I mean is the things that they listen to. Men and women coming on blaspheming the name of Jesus. Men and women coming on the television saying there is no God. Atheists, homosexuality and lesbianism in every program, on every channel, on every side. And our children are drinking it in as if it's natural and if it's normal. And it's tearing down the altar of God. It's tearing down the altar of God. It's time to rebuild the altar. It's time to rebuild the altars of our lives. The altars in our homes. Be not conformed to this word, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, when you and I put ourselves as a living altar, a living sacrifice on the altar, when you and I place ourselves upon it, we find that the words here to be a living sacrifice means a spiritual act of worship. When Paul calls us to worship the Lord, to be a living sacrifice, the words mean be a spiritual act of worship in your life. Every day, rebuild the altar and be a spiritual act of worship all your life. I have to move quickly. I might have to do this over two weeks. In fact, I will. The old hymn writer got it right when he said, as Elijah would raise the altar for our testimony clear and true. He got it right because when Elijah built that altar, it was a testimony. It was a show and tell gospel. Elijah says, the God who answers by fire, he is the Lord. And all 450 prophets of Baal jumped upon the altar, cried unto their pagan God and they cut themselves and they done all manner of things but guess what their God was not real at the most he was a demonic a a demonic being who maybe was behind the things 
but their God was not real. And as the more they cried, Elijah says, well, maybe your God's sleeping or he's took a holiday. Don't you, don't, don't you really think that we're blessed to know that our God is a God who neither slumbers nor sleeps? That he never leaves us, neither does he forsake us. And when you are sleeping, your God is watching over you. And when you awake, he is still with you. Call on him and he will answer you. It was a testimony to Israel, the power of God. He says, the Lord that answers by fire, he is the Lord. And the Holy Ghost fire came and burnt up the altar. I don't want to speak on the altar more tonight, on that altar, because I have so much I want to tell you. You see, the four square gospel is our testimony. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the soon coming king. And to build this and repair this altar where many places they have just decided, let's have a, a, an entertaining session meeting. I don't come to church. I mean, we are the church. I know that they, they called out once. But I don't come to do church. And I don't come to the building that we call church. And I don't come to a meeting, no matter where it's in the morning, the evening, during the week, or some other place. I don't come to play church. I come to meet with him. And I come to praise him. And I come to exalt his name. And I come to hear from him and say, Lord, speak unto me. I need to know your will and word and way in my life. We're sick of religion and tired of it all. We want the reality of the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Ghost. In our reading in Exodus 27, in verse 1, it says this. It says that the altar shall be four square. But notice there are different measurements in Exodus 27 and verse 1. Thou shalt make an altar of seven wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. Notice the numbers, five, five. And the altar shall be four square. The height thereof shall be three cubits. Now, in the Bible, everything is there for a reason. The number four, for example, it speaks of the great elements of the earth. Creation it speaks of. Number four can speak of all of creation, including humanity. But it speaks of, first of all, there are four elements. There's earth, wind, fire, and water. It speaks of the four points of the compass, north, south, east, and west that speaks of four seasons in the year spring summer autumn and winter so four speaks of god's creation including man who lives in it so number four in the bible speaks of god's creation there are four sides four square to this altar that is to be built in exodus 27 and verse one number five five cubits long five cubits broad the number five is the number of grace. And there's grace at this altar. Praise his holy name. There's grace at the altar of Calvary. There's grace to be found in Christ. This number five is the number of grace. You know, the number five is made up of four plus one. You didn't know any big sums like that. You didn't. 
the number of grace is, number, is four plus one. It's God's creation which had fallen in the Garden of Eden with Adam, disobeying the law of God. And four being God's creation, one is the number of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord and his name one. Notice that one for God, four for creation. God interferes, God intervenes, God gets involved. And God's hand is in his creation, giving us grace. And here we have the fallen nature of man. That's you and that's me, of woman. And it it talks about the fallen nature of those in our nation and in our world. And unless God himself came down in mercy and got involved on this planet and in our nation and brought redemption, we would all be going to hell in a handbasket. But God came himself and he died in our place in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Five is a number of grace. In fact, grace is even five letters in the number in the name grace. There's five in the name of mercy, M-E-R-C-Y. There's five in the name of Jesus, J-E-S. U-S. Isn't it beautiful? Here we have the number five on this altar. And we also have the number three. It speaks of witness. It speaks of depth. It speaks of fullness. And it speaks of reality. I've told you this before, but for those who maybe haven't heard this, this table here in front of us, with the surface breadth, the surface area of it is length times breadth. That's your surface area, but that's all it is. Surface. But you put the third element into it, it brings death. Length times breadth, and the third is length times breadth times death. And three means something that is real, something that has substance, something that has fullness. And in him, the Lord Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is that altar. He is that sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. God in flesh dying in our room instead. So is it any wonder that he is? Is it any wonder that he is the savior of men? You know, next week... Or maybe the week after. I want to look at how this four square gospel. I want to bring you into this Jesus Savior. Jesus Healer. Jesus the Baptizer. And the Holy Spirit. And Jesus the Coming King. And we'll look a little more at this altar. And the colors in the breastplate of the high priest of Israel. There were colors in it that were beautiful. And of course that is in our second reading And that's in Exodus 28, verses 15 and 16. And you have gold and blue and purple and scarlet. They all speak of something to do with this glorious gospel that we have. But let me just finish here with with something that I want to to put out there just, and we'll, we'll maybe go over a little more in the next session of this. Jesus, Savior. Only Jesus saves. And Jesus only. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
Now, since Christ is the only Savior and his name is the only saving name, you and I must realize there is nothing in myself. I am part of that number four. I am part of that number four of fallen nature, fallen creation. There's no denomination, there's no institution that can save my soul but Christ and Christ alone. Being a Roman Catholic or being a Protestant or being a Jew or being a whatever cannot save your soul. Christ and Christ alone is the saviour of the soul. That's part of this altar of the four square gospel. It's not going, I know my sister was at Israel, I'd like to go and say it all myself, but it's not at the Wailing Wall. Salvation isn't found there. It's not in a relic of a saint. Salvation isn't found there. It isn't even in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Salvation is not found there. Salvation is found in a person. He's found in Jesus and Jesus only. I want to show you the next time the Hebrew word speaking of salvation and the Hebrew word is the same as our word Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, he's coming. His salvation is coming. He's coming. Salvation is coming. The whole way through the Old Testament. Israel, behold, thy king cometh. He's coming. And there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Nothing. Say this and I'll finish and we'll pick up there, God willing. There's so much I have here to tell you. So much. I remember, I'll just give some of my, maybe the next time as well, some of my own experiences. I can't give your experience. I must give mine. You can testify of your experiences. Speaking of this experience of salvation, I remember an old man. And many of you know him or knew him. And he was 90, maybe 91, he was called Harry McCartney. 91, buddy. 90, was he? 90. And Harry McCartney was up in Craig Alvin Hospital and he wasn't well. And I went up and I sat beside him in his bed and he was so rigid. and He was nearly trying to sit up like a sit-up in bed. He was so, he was wound up like a spring, as we would say. But he was, his body was so tense there was such a, a, a spirit of, 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 of fear upon him and anxiety. And Harry was wound up like a spring. And I went in and started talking to him and he was on edge. And I says, Harry, the Lord loves you. And Harry had turned the Lord away for many, many, many years. And now in a hospital bed, he could do nothing to merit salvation. And I says, he loves you. The Lord wants to save you, Harry. And he looked at me, and I'll never forget it. He said, what? Even now? After years of walking away from him, 90 years of age, he says, what? Even now? And I says, Harry, even now, he loves you. 
And Harry gets saved in his hospital bed. And as soon as he said his amen, coming to Christ in faith, Harry wound down like a clock with a broken spring. (laughs) He went, release and relief. Joy filled his heart. At one point he didn't want me to go and stay with him. He wanted me to talk more to him. And then when he came to Christ, he didn't need me. For he had Christ in his life, the saviour of this four-square gospel message. And after he received Christ, he turned around and he said to me, he says, you can go home now. (laughs) Talk about feeling used. (laughs) Lord, use me like that any time. Think of Paddy Fitzpatrick taking a stroke and slurring his speech and sitting unable to feed himself in his chair looking out his front living room window. I know many is new and he grew up, he lived here many times, but he came from a Catholic background. I think of Paddy Fitzpatrick sitting there and I told him of the gospel and he used to come here and sit at the back. I was talking to him and I remember sitting with Paddy at the chair. And I says, Paddy, your wife said you wanted to speak to me. He says, I do. I says, what about? He says, I'm a bad man. I says, no, you're not a bad man. He says, I can't live like this. And I'm trying to think, does he mean with this illness or what does he mean? I said, Paddy, what do you mean? He says, I can't live in this sin anymore. He wasn't out clubbing it. Paddy was 81 or 2, I think. He wasn't out clubbing it. He wasn't getting up to anything anymore. He had in the past, and it was all marked down, and God knew all his sin. Paddy turned around and looking out the window, I says, Paddy, do you know if you come to Christ, it's by grace, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, and not of works, lest Paddy should boast. It's receiving Christ in faith and believing him. Paddy looked out the window and he turned to me in a slurred speech way. He says to me, I'll never forget it, never forget it. I know, do you not think I've listened to you long enough? (laughs) And I led him to Christ, unable to rob a door, unable to witness. But by faith, he received the Savior. You see, that's who our Jesus is. He's the Savior of the soul. He's the saviour of the soul. I've seen young people like some of the young people in here. And I've talked to them about Jesus. And I've seen them go on it into eternity. After them saying, I want Jesus in my life. See, death is no respecter of persons. But Christ loved you. And here is the beginning of repairing the altar of the Lord. Preparing the altar of the four-square gospel. Jesus saves. We'll look sometime again at Jesus heals. Jesus is the baptizer. And Jesus is the soon-coming king. Bless his name. Margaret, will you come and sing something? Have you anything left to sing? Have you got something to sing?